Hello there, everyone, and welcome to HPAC On The Air, the monthly podcast of HPAC Engineering Magazine, a publication of Endeavor Business Media. I'm Rob McManamy, Editor-in-Chief of HPAC Engineering, and our returning guest today is Elizabeth Beardsley, Senior Policy Counsel for the U.S. Green Building Council, uh, where she served once again in December as the group's lead representative for the 28th United Nations Climate Change Conference in Dubai, also known as COP28. A longtime environmental advocate, Liz holds a civil engineering degree from Stanford University and a law degree from the University of Virginia. She describes herself online as a mom, daughter, friend, and lifelong earth lover. So Liz, welcome back to HPAC on the air. Thanks so much, Rob. It's great to be back. Thank you. Um, and, and we're happy to have you again. This is this is now the third year in a row, I think, that you've been kind enough to provide our readers and listeners with a green building perspective on the most recent uh, uh, COP conference. Uh, this is COP28 that was just held in Dubai, I believe, in the first two weeks of December. Um, now, actually, this one started and ended with high hopes for the sustainability movement, it seems like. In between, there seemed to be considerable controversy about whether any progress was, was really being made this time around. Uh, can you pl- please uh, provide us with a bit of a, well, with your summary and maybe an overall impression of where the movement is now after COP28? Yeah, that's a great question. And I want to start with actually the second part, the movement, because this COP, as was largely reported, was the largest ever. And I would add it was also in many ways the most diverse in terms of the interests there, um, the characteristics of people, um, business, local government, as well as national government. And uh, and just try, I think that together that shows that the globe is understanding that everyone has to be involved in climate. It is affecting all of us and there is no future as far as development and economic prosperity unless we all are involved in figuring out how to make progress on climate mitigation adaptation. So I think that um, in a way, it's getting more mainstream attention, and I think that's mm-hmm. essential to uh, to future longevity of solutions. Um, and then, sort of backing up from that, you know, I've heard all kinds of commentary. You know, we put out a piece as well. It was there was progress made uh, mm-hmm. in in some specific ways. There was a text released that the parties agreed to called the UAE consensus. And for the first time, it calls uh, expressly for a transition away from fossil fuels. And it was it enough to keep our warming within 1.5 degrees? No, that, but we are not there yet. But this was a major uh, breakthrough in the history of the COP and the um, interesting world that is like global consensus negotiation. So I do think that was important. It also included text calling for tripling of renewable energy capacity and doubling the rate of energy efficiency by 2030. So these are like specific goals that countries can now um, try to meet and try to organize around uh, as well as the private sector. Um, There were a whole host of other announcements and initiatives on the side, as there always are. For example, uh, some that are relevant to the building community are the Global 
cooling challenge um, was announced. There's a new buildings breakthrough. Um, and that one, countries, that's it, countries are joining for over 25 um, at the launch, uh, are coming together to work together on the vision that all buildings will be sustainable and um, zero emission and resilient by, uh, I think it's by 2030. So it's super ambitious vision. But importantly, the countries will be working together and sharing what they're doing and learning from each other and trying to expand other countries. So, you know, we have our own situation here in the U.S., but we have some important frameworks and, and basics that not all countries have, even if we're not all the way there yet either. But we have building codes, have these different frameworks, but some countries don't have building energy codes yet. So things like that will be front and center of this new building's breakthrough to try to spread those best practices um, more comprehensively around the globe. There's a lot, there's a lot happened in those right, right. the highlights to get us started. Well, that's what, so what, I guess the, the, the takeaways, and I know it's, it's kind of a interesting combination of, of, uh, long-term goals and short-term goals in between these, these cop conferences as well. So when is the, when is cop 29 and, and uh, where is that going to be? And what's the, the takeaways from this one that will people would be working on in the short term, I guess, especially in, in our industry, I guess, in the building industry. Yeah. So the next one's a big one. Cop 29 is going to be in Azerbaijan ah. in, yeah, in November okay. of 2024. And, it's the year of the global stock take. Uh, or sorry, the global stock take was one of the things that was happening at this COP. Uh, that is where uh, there were scientists looked at all the data, sort of cumulative data on where we are like globally in terms of the rate of climate change and emissions and gases in the atmosphere. So as I think everyone understands, we are behind where we want to be in a lot of metrics. So that was um, shared, although the rate of renewable energy is pretty good, but overall not there yet. Um, but now next year, or this year, sorry, 2024, <laughs> um, we'll be seeing the next round of countries coming forward with their updated nationally determined contributions uh, NDCs, and those are the documents that where each country says what they think they can contribute to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and historically, you know, that was the big breakthrough that allowed Earth Agreement to be reached. Prior to that, there was always like many years spent trying to come up with these reduction numbers that would be top down, and every country would have the same, you know, percent reduction or whatever. But at Paris, they decided, okay, we're going to let each country decide what it thinks it can do based on its capacity, its economy, its resources, and so on. And just try to keep pushing ambition at those cumulatively to where we need to be. So this will be the next round um, of those nationally determined contributions. I think uh, those the impact of the current ones has also been assessed, and there is a gap. There's like a gap report, it's called, 
Um, so hopefully with the data from the global stock take, um, some of these initiatives that happen this year, uh, the countries will come back and we'll see some increased ambition. And I do think a lot of a lot more awareness is around buildings and the role of buildings in both contributing to energy use, um, to fuel use, and, and to emissions, but also the potential to achieve multiple goals for society by addressing those emissions and especially looking at opportunities for construction to play a role in uh, becoming a climate solution where there's the potential for finding carbon eventually. So, yeah, so I think it's going to be another big year, but the COP itself will probably be a lot smaller because of the location, um, but it will be focused on those um, those new NDCs. Can you go back for a second just to talk a little bit, explain a little bit more about the global stock take? I, I meant to ask you a little bit more about that, but um, about what the parameters of that is, I guess, that, that uh, and that's just launched within the past year or last six months even? Yeah, so there is a technical report that came out in, um, I think, in October or even late September. I think it was early October um, on the um, what all the data means. And then that was considered a work stream of the parties, the, basically the national representatives negotiating at COP28. There was a whole work stream on what to do with the global stock take. So some mm -hmm. of that's reflected in the text that is that UAE consensus that I mentioned. And okay. I am happy to share some links if you're, some of your listeners would like to read it for themselves. And um, yeah, sure. We can, and we can post those yeah. links. Uh, Absolutely. Um, when we, when we post the, uh, the podcast here and have, have those available. Um, I guess just, just also I noticed this fall, I believe USGBC actually might just have been in December had released a report with uh uh, that you had done with, uh, I guess, engineering, uh, uh, global engineering firm, Arup, um, the re an overall assessment on the state of decarbonization in our industry. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit for a moment about that report and, and what our readers can glean from that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking. Um, so this report, it's called State of Decarbonization, Progress <laughs> in U.S. Commercial Buildings 2023. So there's a lot of... Uh, data and reports on building topics uh, that you know that come out but a lot of them are very much like a single issue and we wanted to pull together in one place all the data on commercial buildings in the U.S. and kind of where we are what the trends look like where there's like, what we need to know and we've actually made the graphs uh, available for use you know with attribution so people can take a look and then download them and use them in their presentations if they want. So I would encourage that. Um, there's a lot of data. It's, it's a data intensive report, kind of like a fact book. So it has um, things like, you know, information on, um, you know, the building types, um, commercial energy improvements on in 90.1 versions, um, you know, the trajectory of greenhouse gas emissions, for commercial buildings in the U.S., um, there's there's a lot of different data, and also we got into some of the grid intensity um, and the variation across the country, and what that means for buildings, some of the state pathways to decarbonize buildings, 
um, there's some information on uh, on EUI improvement. Um, there's really just a ton of stuff in here. Um, also, what some of the REITs are doing, the Real Estate Investment Trust, and you know the mm -hmm. movement for more of them to go towards having um, science-based targets, for example. So we've just tried to take a scan across the data that's available for the sector and where we are um, and look at what we know about where we're heading. Is there, I, I guess, is there um, uh, information in there about uh, participation from uh, the real estate industry or building owners? Is that, uh, has that been a noticeable um, uptick or, or collaboration or how, how would you rate the uh, overall, um, uh, I guess, participation from, from that sector, I guess, from the private sector in that regard? Um, I don't think we measured measured that exactly. We took it more from what objective data were available. So it, that mm -hmm. does show up indirectly. For example, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years, uh, building space, commercial building space in the U.S. has increased quite a bit, but the total absolute emissions is the same, and that's because of that EUI coming down. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's probably partly codes, but not entirely because we don't have consistent, you know, modern codes in all states. Um, we also have seen, um, say some of the, um, uptake in some of the technologies, um, mm -hmm. that's happening. And certainly that's, um, not necessarily policy driven. So that's, that's a place where. Um, real estate market is uh, taking advantage of those uh, for various reasons. So, mm -hmm. um, and we did see that. Um, so on these, we have some data on corporate targets, and uh, seeing that uh, there's a, a huge increase in the number of uh, the Fortune Global 500 companies that have greenhouse gas reduction targets. Mm -hmm. um, that's gone from Six percent in 2016, up to 68 percent in 2022. Now, 68, building, six, six, eight percent. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Okay. Uh, now, there's a couple things like not all these targets are science based, um, but they're they at least have them, and mm -hmm. it will also take could take depending on the company. It might take a bit for that to trickle down and really start impacting their approach to their building portfolio. Um, but, you know, that will happen. Often end of that. And then look, we looked at the REITs um, and that showed that about a quarter of the largest commercial REITs of, of the publicly traded ones are making those serious science-based commitments for decarbonization. So that's really encouraging. So we have some, some data on that. And that's retail, office, healthcare are the largest typologies within those uh, commercial REITs. So there's data there. Um, yeah, there's a lot in here uh, to dig mm -hmm. into and, and understand. Um, well, we'll, certainly, uh, yeah, we'll yeah. certainly post the link to that report uh, as well um, on the site. What other initiatives uh, would you say that that uh, um, that you're working on in 2024 that you, USGBC's main priorities, I guess, for this year? Um, and, and actually, does that change at all in election year? Is there a to-do list as far as advocacy and whatnot? Because uh, I'm, uh, you know, this 
election, of course, will heat up uh, uh, every month from now on. <laughs> um, so wondering where where USGBC will play a role um, in this uh, contentious year. Yes. Um, well, you know, you could have the news on and have all election all the time, but honestly, we have too much to do to do that. So <laughs> we are rolling up our sleeves. Um, organizationally, Lead V5 is our absolute highest priority. On our team, we're super excited about what we're seeing out of the technical committees and our technical development team. Um, our existing building, B5 Beta, is already out. That was launched in the fall. And people might not realize it, but Lead Zero is actually part of that. It's it's tucked in at the end of that. So that's worth looking at. Um, that is a uh, zero emission building plus uh, addressing refrigerants and uh, procurement as pertains to a, an existing building as far as embodied carbon. So, um, and the new construction is in the works now, like turning through committee work. So I think that's huge. We also are working on our building to scale program and that's designed to fill a gap that we've noticed in the industry where, as we mentioned, like these corporations are setting these targets, but what does that mean in terms of uh, what they have to do on their building portfolio? So we are aiming to um, to help owners be able to look across a portfolio and use this tool to come up with a plan and show progress. So, um, you know, there's also building performance standards becoming uh, more a more widely used tool in the U.S. and that's affecting owners as well. So our idea is with this tool, it will help um, for these companies to demonstrate um, we not only have a target, but we actually have a plan. And here's how we can you know, verify that we're making progress on our plan. So that's exciting. And what um, is that dual or dual due out later this year? Or, or, or are you just yes. talking? What's the name yep. of the tool? Um, I think we have a small pilot already underway for that program. Mm -hmm. And both V5 and Building to Scale, they're part of our new hub, integrated hub, it's called. So I don't... Okay, um, I can put a, a link to that or more information from your, your site on... Uh, yeah. For the I mean, we've had program. Lead Online has been kind of the platform for project teams for a long time, but we're creating mm -hmm. this integrated HUD, uh, hub, excuse me, integrated hub um, <laughs> that will have a lot more capability and resources. Yeah. So... Um, okay. Yeah. So those are a couple of things. I think, you know, as far as uh, policy, we are focusing on impact. Um, mm -hmm. We are this year, as far as federal policy, we always do a lot of work on appropriations to make sure federal agencies that support critical programs like Energy Star have um, the funding they need and, and direction, um, as well as key agencies like uh, GSA, Department of Energy, and so on. Um, we work on various bills to help strengthen the codes and uh, support high-performance buildings and different uh, investments. Uh, tax policy, we have a um, couple ideas that we're percolating uh, for sort of the next step after IRA. So excited about those things. And state policy, there's a ton happening, um, state and local um, you know, I think 
we see, as I mentioned, building performance standards are um, continuing to get a lot of attention. And we see some possibility there. We're involved in directly in several of those. Um, but there's also other jurisdictions that may not go as far as a performance standard, at least right now. So we're trying to also think about how do we appeal to some of those jurisdictions and really lean into the idea of incentives um, to make better buildings uh, possible, um, you know, focusing on resilience in, in some of those areas. Um, because I think we don't want to leave people behind. And, and that was another finding in our report is that progress is uneven um, geographically and socioeconomically, even if you just look at commercial, never mind looking at residential. So, you know, we're doing more to um, try to look at our, you know, policy advocacy because we need to bring everybody up. Um, so, yeah, those are a few of the things we're working on. And it sounded like you said at COP28, there was a, a considerable uh, participation from the state and local level, or at least municipal, around the world, that there was there were uh, smaller uh, um, municipalities and whatnot were, were represented as well, you said, this year. Yeah, and it was like, it was a neat moment because the first COP I went to, was privileged to go to, was Paris COP. Mm -hmm. And at that one, um, like Bloomberg brought together uh, and ha held a local climate action summit. It was, but it was outside the main COP, and that was because there was so much hope that there would be an agreement reached in Paris. So that there were like this big effort to get the local government constituency there, basically tell their national governments like, "We want this. You need to do this. Like this is critical for our cities," um, and provide that support. But it wasn't in the main conference, so. At Dubai, for the very first time, the presidency of the COP and um, the city's organizations got together and held a local climate action summit, but it was part of the conference and within the conference. So that was a big shift that a lot of uh, local government advocates were really excited about. And I think we'll set the new stage for that uh, multi-level collaboration that is really important to make progress. Mm -hmm. And and on the subject of progress, I guess there's this always this, especially in this this area, I guess the continuing push and pull on the subject of climate and and uh, so the occasional good news is is often overwhelmed by the next installment of, of dark news. And I think just this week we learned that 2023 was the hottest year on record uh, for the recorded history of, of Earth's climate, I believe. Um, but last fall, we also heard that the, the pandemic apparently had had an unexpectedly positive effect. I think according to the International Energy Agency, um, they had said that, that that achieving net zero by 2050 may actually be possible now um, to, to some degree from, from building practices that were adopted during the pandemic. Um, so my question for you now, I guess, is just with the variation, it's a variation, the last question I've had for uh, in, in our previous podcast as well, is, is, is how do you stay upbeat and, and keep your... Uh, composure in this volatile subject, I guess. It, it's a mouthful, but really just comes down to a pulse check, I guess. Is your position, in your position, you, you know more about this issue than 99% of the rest of us, I guess. So how do you feel now about the state of our, our industry, I guess, in, in this uh, in this uh, epic battle, I guess, to, to put it one, in that those terms? Yeah, I think I, I try to adapt this 
approach that I'm misquoting somebody, I think it might be Christina Figueres, that I'm not an optimist or a pessimist, but an activist. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like I, when I initially come back from COP, um, you know, sort of there's a, a mixed sense of, you know, some accomplishment of whatever we are setting out to do and you know, messaging, connecting with people and supporting our movement. And then also just the big picture, like, as I said, we're just not there yet globally on where we need to be. Um, I do, I do remain stubbornly hopeful in the sense of this normalization that we have to do something on climate. One of the events I went to uh, this time, and I went to the same thing a couple of cups ago when they had it in Scotland was um, the Conservative Climate foundation um had a dinner and they're there because they know that climate is a real problem it's it's mm-hmm. um it's affecting everybody it's there are values in that matter to a lot of different kinds of people we need to be open to talking to people and we may differ over a particular policy or solution or feed or investment but um I think as we uh, spend time to listen to people and, and to try to keep pushing that we will make progress. And, you know, there's also the technology side. Mm-hmm. Um, so many things have changed in the last, you know, eight years. Um, if you look at, you know, rooftop solar proliferating and EVs, I think um, the U.S. is actually a I think we'll, we'll, we're about to shift, but um, I'm going to get the statistic wrong, but I think one out of four or one out of three new cars uh, cars purchased is EV already. Not oh, well. US quite yet, but globally. Okay. Um, so, you know, I think that's another thing that we have to do is let, let technology and some of these innovations play their role. And, you know, I think the one, big thing that uh, that gives me hope as well in terms of buildings is you know if we could figure out how to make concrete bind carbon and be carbon positive like wow that would just be such a game changer and and make that the norm um, and actually mm-hmm. the the global cement and concrete association had a pavilion at cop and mm-hmm. uh, I was honored to speak on a panel there that they you know, they have net zero plans and pathways um, as well. So they, they know that they have a role. So I think seeing all the players, um, it's, you can't, they can't ignore it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I I think all together, and if we can continue with accountability and really trying to leapfrog as much as we can in technology and make these things happen faster that we can get there. And you've got certainly got a full plate ahead of you anyway. So you got enough <laughs> to keep you busy in the uh, uh, the year ahead. Well, Liz, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. And I appreciate uh, very much your, your uh, uh, detailed recap of, of everything going on with, uh, with USGBC and COP28. And I thank you so much for your time and insights here today. Uh, we hope to talk to you again, uh, maybe a year from now, if, if not sooner about where we are. So thanks. Thank you, Rob, for the opportunity. Sure. And my thanks to all of you again, for everybody uh, for listening. 
in today. If you like what you heard here, please hit like and subscribe to our podcast and share this with your colleagues and check out the rest of our growing library of HPAC on the air podcast at hpac.com. So thanks again for joining us, everyone. Take care and please stay safe out there.